podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Our passage for today is going to be Jeremiah chapter 2. And I'm going to hop around a little bit, but let me start with verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me, and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, and a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, and where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. Let me skip ahead to verse 18. And now what do you gain by going to Egypt or to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. If I were to take an informal survey of 100 people having lunch at Dee's place this afternoon, Christians, Muslims, agnostics, militant atheists, and I asked, what's your vice? Almost everyone, regardless of their belief structure, could probably think of something. Something we can all relate to. A vice is defined as an immoral or wicked behavior, but a secondary definition has more to do with a personal character flaw or trait. Put another way, if Satan was going to push your buttons today, which sin would he tempt you with? I know mine. And I imagine that most of you know yours. In a way, it's helpful. If we know what direction the enemy is going to attack from, we are that much better prepared to develop a defense strategy. Forewarned is forearmed. We see in Scripture the vice of ancient Israel and Judah, and that vice is idolatry. Now, there's a sense in which all sin is idolatry. All sin is us saying something else is more important than God. We wouldn't necessarily say that out loud, but our behavior bears that belief out. Here in Jeremiah, we see God calling his people out for their blatant idolatry and spiritual adultery. Toward the beginning of this message, we see God reminding his people who brought them out of Egypt, the place of slavery and oppression. And as we see again and again, as soon as God brought them into the promised land, they turned to worshiping the gods of the people around them. Worth noting, as we saw in the last two verses that I read, as we see throughout the New Testament, Egypt is both a symbol for and an example of Israel's tendency to turn away from God's protection and provision to the false safety of a political ally. Egypt is idolatry. God's people did not trust in God to protect them, so they would turn to another nation to do so, Egypt or Assyria. And what do we see again and again? That to which Israel turns to in times of trouble ends up destroying them. God brought them out of torment in Egypt, and where do they go for help when the going gets tough? Back to Egypt. Now, as we always need to do when reading the Bible, let's turn the lens of God's word to our own hearts. Don't we do the same thing that Israel was guilty of? God brought us out of sin and death. He gave us new life through the gospel. He's adopted us into his royal family and given us purpose and hope and a future. But what do we so often do when we face difficult circumstances? 
when we are angry or hurt or depressed or overwhelmed, we run back to Egypt. We return to those very sins and vices that God saved us from. Pride, lust, vanity, control, gluttony, the opinions of others, unhealthy relationships. I don't know what yours are, but I know mine. And in difficult times, I feel the pull of those behaviors that Jesus died to break the power of. So what do we do? Well, as we just acknowledged, we must remember to live out the truth that our old selves have been crucified with Christ and live in the knowledge that our new life is through his life in us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have the power to overcome our vices by the life of God at work inside of us. And we take all of our hurt and fears and worries and pain and we lay them at the feet of our Savior. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The God who saves us is the God who continues to save us. He continues to keep, guide, empower, and love us. I feel like I'm throwing a lot of scriptures at you today, but here's my last one. Romans 6, 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. We know that anywhere we run to for help other than God can only lead to emptiness and futility. But as God's word promises, when we seek after him, we will find him. He will be a strong tower in our hour of need. God, remind us when things get hard, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel at a loss, that anywhere we are tempted to run to other than you will only lead to death and emptiness and futility. God, remind us that our hope, our joy, our peace is found in you alone. And we thank you for the promises of your word that remind us that this is true. Help us to live out what we really believe. For your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Church family, you are loved. Have a blessed day.